Take your Bibles out with us as we continue our journey through the Gospel of Luke. We're in Luke chapter 10 this morning, preaching chapter by chapter through this amazing Gospel that shares stories, true accounts, narratives that we don't find anywhere else in the Bible. That's right. Luke chapter 10 this morning, speaking of the snow. Speaking of the snow, I'll tell you, I've had a pretty safe winter with my car. I've got a 05, 05 car out there, and I was a little concerned about the winter because it's the first time I've had a car in a long, long time with rear-wheel drive. And they make winter driving so exciting. You front-wheel drive people, you four-by-four, you all-wheel drive people, you have no conception what I'm talking about until you enjoy wintertime with a rear-wheel drive. And I usually, I have no great challenge with that car until I come to the church parking lot, until I come specifically to the church driveway. Our driveway out here is pretty steep, and when it's loaded with snow... Uh, my little uh, rear-wheel drive car, boy, that's a chance. I have to be prepared, but I, I, I get a little excited, too, because I know as I approach that thing, I have to approach it with quite a bit of momentum, quite a bit of speed, and then when I hit it, the thing fishtails real bad, but I'm prepared to whip that steering wheel around, and I just look really cool. I look like James Bond coming in to the secretaries as I pull on in up that driveway. Well, this, this, this past snowfall, I think it was Thursday morning, when we got hit, blasted again. Uh, I came uh, down Shaner, and I knew as I was coming halfway between 21 in the driveway that I was going to have to, uh, you know, really build up my speed because I knew that that driveway was going to be full of snow and not plowed yet, and uh, I, I was hitting it. And uh, I come uh, uh, getting ready to put the pedal to the metal to get some momentum, and I got cut off by somebody that got in front of me, and I had to slow down, but I, I couldn't miss the driveway. So I went up the driveway slowly, and I only got up halfway. The first time I'd been stuck. Oh, winter. I thought I'd get through the whole winter and not get stuck. I'm stuck. And I'm too proud to ask for any help. And so I'm there putting it in drive, putting it in reverse, drive, reverse. And then I'm even rocking back and forth with my body, hoping somehow it's going to move it up the hill. But I'm just bearing it even deeper. And then I see an orange Russian hat. It's Pastor Ben wearing this crazy orange Russian type hat. You, you, you kids know what I'm talking about, don't Yeah, yeah. It, it stands. He's at the mailbox. So he's over trying to push me up the driveway. And then Pastor Randy is, is blocked by me behind. I didn't know he was behind me. He's out pushing. And these two past, God bless their souls. They, they couldn't get me up. And I, I'm still I'm rocking my body for all it's worth. And I was almost going to get out and try to drive and push at the same time. And a gentleman, stranger, I've never seen him before, probably will never see him again, stopped his vehicle. And he got out, 
And this third man now behind my car, the three of them were able to help me get on up. And all I remember hearing him shout was, those pretty cars aren't meant for the snow. <laughs> and that good Samaritan helped me get up the driveway. That's where we're going this morning. Him stopping reminds me of this powerful narrative. Imagine with me, uh, imagine with me Luke chapter 10. Imagine with me where we're going this morning. It's around verse 30. Imagine a traveler preparing for a long trip, 20 miles in that day and time, 20 miles for you and I, would not seem precarious or uh, long by no stretch of the imagination, but back then uh, it, it could span a couple of days. He was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Not only, not only was this uh, a distance in that day and time for traveling on foot or by donkey as he most likely was, but it, it was a trip that was a study in contrast. You need to recognize you could have more than a foot of snow in Jerusalem, and you can go on down even today. You could have a good foot of snow in Jerusalem and go on down to Jericho and have 90 degrees heat in just, in just 20 miles. Why? Jericho, near the Dead Sea, is at the lowest spot on the planet, 1,300 feet below sea level. This is the story we're looking at. It, this ancient road had hairpin curves. It was a treacherous road. It, it was known as the bloody way in that ancient time. Not because of the hairpin curves necessarily, but because of the highwaymen, the bandits, the robbers that haunted the place. But we can imagine uh, this gentleman, this traveler, looking forward to the trip being overjoyed because this trek also has very scenic lookouts. And I can imagine him anticipating the lookout over the Dead Sea area, which is so amazingly majestic, scenic, beautiful. In our mind's eye, we can surely imagine him stopping uh, and tying his donkey to a, uh, there by a boulder and there having a rest stop and drinking deeply from his water bottle as he thought, I'm just going to rest here for a while and halfway on my journey to Jericho and, and look out over the Dead Sea Basin. Look out over where Jericho lies to the north at the tip of the Red Sea, or the Dead Sea, or the Salt Sea in that day and time. It was a mistake in judgment. Almost a fatal mistake. He never saw them coming. One moment he was drinking from his water bottle, and, and then suddenly his head, it seemed like uh, stars, everything exploded. He felt himself being beaten. He felt his bones being broken within him. He didn't even have time to cry out. Everything that he had was taken from him by bandits. His donkey, his valuables, his money. 
They even stripped him of his clothes. And so he lies there, a gory sight, lying in a pool of his own blood, bones broken, his face smashed in, he's naked, he's filthy. Most likely it could have been hours later that he came to. Perhaps it was the hot sun, perhaps it was his raging thirst, or, or, or the hundreds of flies that, and insects that were swarming around his body. But through the blood-hazed mist of, of his swollen eyes, he began to cry. Help! Oh, help! Will somebody help me? This isn't a movie script, as many of you know. This is not a story of my own making. It's one of Jesus' best loved parables. Look there at verse 30 of Luke chapter 10 this morning and read along with me. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. What did they do to him? They stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. What would be your response to this man's need? Would you be moved with pity for him? Would you stop and rescue this stranger who had been victimized? Would you care for his needs uh, no matter the cost? Or would, you, would you be like the majority that day? What did the majority do? The Bible says that they passed by. Where did they pass by? On the other side. That's where I'm going this morning. The other side. Would you pray with me? Father, we open up our hearts to you right now. And we cry, come Holy Spirit. Grant us ears to hear and hearts to receive. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. Mark it down if you have a sermon study guide notes. Uh, and you're following along with me this morning, would you mark it down and fill in the blank with me this morning? Jesus' parable in Luke 10 of a man robbed, beaten, and left for dead reminds us of our hurting world. Those victimized, not by bandits, not by thieves, highwaymen, those victimized by Satan all around us. I'm bemused, but I'm also sickened. Have you noticed the latest trend lately in movies, especially on TV, especially basic cable, on what America is enjoy watching the most? Oh, well, not reality shows, zombies. What in the world is this craze with zombies? And as I'm channel surfing and left in shock, I'm convinced that the craze with zombies is just an excuse. An excuse of people watching people maim, kill, murder, decapitate, and so forth and so on, human bodies. But of course it's excused because they're already zombies. I'm just telling you, this is way off the sermon here. I believe it's spawned in the laboratories of hell.
It's satanic. I am convinced that the real walking dead populate most of our world. The Cruckers could speak more ably to this than I can. And what they see just in the continent of Africa and all of their, their, their travels. I'm talking about a world full of men and women and little children. Walking skeletons. Dying from hunger, disease, sunken eyes, hollow cheeks, stick arms, toothless mouths, uh, groaning, crying. The starving masses of our world. Many who, who populate the garbage dumps of our, our major mega cities. And then, then there's the, the millions dying from diseases like cancer, AIDS, uh, heart ailments, plagues, leprosy, TB. When you think about it, as we Americans are debating about health care, and yes, it's a serious subject, as we're debating about health care, most of our world doesn't have any health care at all. And like the psalmist, they're crying out, No man careth for my soul. Nobody cares about me. Michiganders, instead of complaining about the weather and about the winter, the snow, and the ice, do you realize, do you realize the, 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 the attitude of gratitude that we could and we should be walking in? Do you realize the, the, the spirit of thanksgiving that we should be really walking in when we look and how, how, how well we're blessed. Listen, if you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you can be thankful you're more blessed than the millions around the globe that won't survive this week. If you have food in your refrigerator, clothes on your back, a, a roof over your head, and a place to, be, to, to sleep, Tonight, you can be thankful you're more blessed than 75% of our planet. If you have money in the bank, if you have money in a wallet, well, let's make it simple. If you've got spare change in a jar at home, be thankful you are among the top 8% of the world's wealthy, according to the stats. If you can read, be thankful, two billion people can't. If your parents are still married and they're still alive, be thankful. You are very, very, very rare. If you own just one Bible, be thankful. Be thankful. One third of the world doesn't even own one Bible. They don't even have access to one. If you are a Christ follower... If you're a born-again, blood-washed, Bible-believing soldier of the cross, be thankful! Most of our world has never even heard the name of Jesus just once. Just once. It has been said that more kids will wake up hearing the name of Muhammad this morning, Muhammad this morning, than the name Jesus. Jesus. But this is more than a message uh, on, on, on having a positive attitude, an attitude of, uh, of gratitude. My question is, what are we doing about it? What are we doing about our hurting, victimized, 
helpless world. This is more than just a need for another freshwater well, more than just another uh, a need for, for food and, and health care for broken bodies. Uh, there's the desperate need to heal broken hearts, wounded lives. There's those who have been victimized by divorce, abuse, incest, the illegitimate offspring of a million one-night stands. Throw away kids by the millions. Populate our planet. Most children today will never live in a normal, normal father and mother home. And while we're on the subject, let me speak to you, Michiganders. Despite the fact that the gay community might demand it, despite the fact a liberal government might legislate it and the ACLU might defend it, despite the fact that a left-wing uh, academia might justify it and the social revisionists uh, might try to redefine it, uh, same-sex marriages still are not a family and they never will be a family according to the Holy Word of God. This is not my opinion. This is the Word of God. I'm called to preach the Word of God. God, help us. And what's sweeping across the land and visiting us right in our very own state. During the next 24 hours, 500 kids, 500 kids over the next 24 hours, 500 kids from age 10 to age 14 will experiment with their first drugs. Over the next 24 hours, 24, over the next 24 hours, thousands, thousands of these same kids age 10 to 14 will have their first drink. Over the next 24 hours, more than a thousand, thousand illegitimate births will take place in just America. In a recent study by the University of Michigan, it was found that 44% of fifth graders, 44% of fifth graders, and 55% of eighth graders will experience sexual intercourse. The most dangerous place in America? Where's the most dangerous place in America for children? A mother's womb. Abortion. The plague of our times. I'm talking about men. I'm talking about women. I'm talking about teenagers, children. I'm talking about the broken, the battered, the beaten, the blemished of our world's society and culture, who like the victimized man of Luke chapter 10, verse 30, they're dying on the inside out. And worse yet, millions will spend a Christless eternity separated from God unless we reach them with the love and the tangible care of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you fill in the blank with me? Write it down. It's easy to ignore need all around us. It's easy to pretend we don't see it. It's easy to pass by on the other side. And that's just what Jesus said in Luke 10, 31. Jesus said, a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Verse 2, 
So to a Levite, the Levites were assistants to the priests, somewhat like pastoral associates, somewhat like assistant pastors. So to a Levite, when he came to the place, and he saw the man who had been victimized, he passed by on, what? The other side. The other side. What Jesus is trying to reveal to us here, now get a hold of this. The priest and the Levite are people in that society back then and today who are the most likely, the most expected to help. But they did not. They passed by on the other side. The other thing that Jesus wants us to see here, more than spiritual ministry was needed, real, practical, helps ministry, real care was also required. Not just spiritual ministry, but in the final analysis, Jesus twice, twice, He underscores it for emphasis. And it reveals in his emphasis how these two ministers responded. They both passed by on the other side. Heard recently a story of how a homeless man visited a church. And he didn't show up in a double-breasted black suit. Nice tie. This homeless man showed up and rags of clothes. And he smelled. And his hair was disheveled. He was unsightly. And he went and sat up front. And the usher came and tapped him on the shoulder and said, You need to sit back here, not up front. Another man at the end of the service said, listen bud, if you ever come back to this church again, we expect, we expect a, 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 a dress code at this church and you don't meet this dress code. Now if you expect to come back to this church, you better sharpen up. You better spend the week asking God how you should dress for church. That's right. You need to spend time asking God on how you should dress for church. Next Sunday, right up front, the homeless man, same clothes, same smell, same attire, same look. Usher came down, tapped him on the shoulder. Didn't I tell you to ask God? on how you should dress for church. Didn't I warn you that there's a dress code in this holy congregation? Didn't I tell you to have God direct you and counsel you on how to dress for church? The old man, the homeless man, looked him in the face and said, I did ask God. Well, what did God say? He said he'd never been to this church. Mmm. Mmm. The priest and the Levite, the priest and the Levite, the priest and the Levite in Luke chapter 10 represents so much of the Christian world today. 
so much of the American church. Instead of a hospital for a hurting world, we have a country club mentality. We have a showcase for perfect people mentality. Instead of being focused on the business of eternity, how many churches can you name today? They're focused on the entertainment business. And the congregants are not any longer engaged in the Father's business. The congregants, the parishioners, the pew sitters, or the seat sitters, if there's chairs, they're spectators. They're not participants. I, I would have liked to have interviewed the priest and the Levite, wouldn't you? Why did you choose to, to ignore? Why did you choose to neglect the man who had been robbed and beaten? Uh, uh, and he's naked, he's left for dead. Why did you choose to walk on the other side? I believe we would have heard what we hear today. I'm just too busy. I didn't have enough time. I don't want to get involved. I didn't. It's too messy of a business. Too bloody. I didn't want to get it on my clothes. You know, really, it's his own fault. It's his own fault. He ought to get a job. It's his own fault. He ought to get more education. It's his own fault. He ought to move out of that ghetto. He should have realized this is a dangerous area. In fact, you know, this is not my gift. Helping out the hurting. That's, that's not my gift. Uh, it's somebody else's. Let somebody else do it. If I had a dime for every time as a pastor, I've heard that line. Let somebody else do it. It's not my gift. They'd look you square in the eye, the Levite and the priest. It's not my problem. It's just not my problem. Not too different from many churches today, huh? Don't speak to them of the hungry, the naked, the destitute, the lonely, the sick. You don't get too many amens that way. Don't bring in the dirty. Don't bring in the, the poor. Don't bring in the smelly. Hey, don't bring in the physically challenged, the, uh, the, 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 the mentally challenged in our services. We're on TV. Don't invite the drunkard. Don't invite the, the drug addicted. Don't invite the, the deviant. We're a family church. It's like putting a sign. It's like putting a sign in front of a hospital. Can you imagine going to the, your community hospital and there's a big sign, no sick allowed. Let me declare it again. Lakeside Assembly of God, Lakeside Assembly of God, Lakeside Assembly of God is not a showcase for perfect people. Look at who's holding the microphone right now. This is a hospital. This is a hospital. This is a hospital. And we open our doors wide to the hurting, to the needy. And sometimes the hurting and needy come driving in a Porsche and have a nice suit on. But they're desperately, desperately poor in spirit. And sometimes they show up riding a bicycle because their license has been taken away because of drunk driving. And they've got a problem. And they're looking for answers. And Jesus is still the answer for the world today. Do you agree with that? People should come to church and find Jesus. 
They should hear about Jesus. Not a showcase Jesus that looks like some perfect, perfect, perfect uh, uh, thing that you would display in, in some, you know, Macy's uh, uh, showcase. But the Jesus of the Gospels who touched the leper, who touched the outcast, who touched the untouchables of his culture, his day, and he's still doing it today through real followers of Jesus Christ. Then there's the super spiritual Christians. Oh, oh, they would say, I, I don't pass by on the other side. Not whatsoever. I, on a weekly basis, I'm ministering to the hurting, the needy. You see this button right here, this big white button with the smiley face on it? I come to them and I tell them, smile. God loves you and I love you too. And then I go on my way. Or, or I, I, I go to them and I give them a bumper sticker for their donkey. Hurting? God cares. Hurting? God cares. Or, you, you know, so many of them, they just need a word of encouragement. Ah. Uh, if I was to go to that victimized man that was lying there in his pool of blood, uh, robbed and beaten and left half dead, I would have told him as he's lying there, I would have told him, keep looking up. Keep looking up. Keep believing. <laughs> Everything's going to be all right. Give him that word of encouragement. Or, how about this one? I, I find this really is helpful. I, I always tell hurting people, I always tell victimized people, I'll remember you in prayer. Sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? God help us. I don't judge a church by its attendance. I don't judge a church by its bottom line. I don't judge a church as being successful by its razzle-dazzle facilities or its whiz-bang technology. I ask these questions. Is it ministering to the poor? Is it ministering to the needy in the name of Jesus? Is it ministering in the jails? Is it at the hospitals? Is it in the nursing homes uh, where people by the millions have been left forgotten? Is it showing God's love to unwed mothers, the homeless, uh, the, the impoverished centers of our community? Is it feeding the hungry? Is it clothing the naked? Uh, uh, is it blessing children uh, uh, with the real tangible love of Jesus? Is it doing whatever it can to proclaim the gospel everywhere, any place, any time? These are just not nice things to do. They are critical. Follower of Jesus Christ, they are critical to your Christianity. They are critical to your eternal destination. I'm not preaching a works message. We're saved by the grace of Jesus Christ through the shed blood of our Savior upon the cross. But listen to what our Savior said about helping the hurting, helping the needy, and how it relates 
to your Christianity and your eternal destination. Jesus said this in Matthew 25. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed. How can anyone be cursed? Cursed in the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, a stranger, or needing clothes, sick, or in prison, and did not help you? And he will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Follower of Jesus Christ, I cannot tell you how critical it is to your walk with God in helping the poor and the needy, the hurting of our world. You are to be Jesus' hands extended, reaching out to this world. Write it down. While the priest and the Levite, these religious leaders, passed by on the other side, help came from a Samaritan who moved with what? Compassion. Luke 10.33, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. What is a Samaritan? They were despised by the Jews. They were the half-breeds by the Jews. This was a situation that you would at least, least expect to help a fellow Jew. A Samaritan. But the Samaritan goes beyond racial prejudice. He's motivated by compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds. Or excuse me, when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii. What, 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 what kind of a sum of money is this? This would be equal to do two days, two days pay. How much do you make over two days? That's how much was given. And gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. This goes perfectly in line with what our missionary Ken Crocker was speaking to us this morning. A goodly part of God's Word declares that you will be blessed. You will enjoy and experience divine prosperity as you give. But yet there's another aspect to God's Word. Honey, sir, ma'am, come on, let's face it. It's just plain old sacrifice. It's when I move with compassion that I step out of my own need, my own self-absorption. My own self-directedness, my own self-focus. And I sacrifice because I'm a follower of Him who paid the ultimate sacrifice. I obey. I walk by faith. I sacrifice. I don't give to get, but I can't help giving without getting. He's going to take care of you. David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. Move with compassion. 
This Samaritan said, whatever it takes, I'll pay for it. Because his focus was other-centered instead of self-centered. Compassion. What is real compassion? Compassion is the capacity to suffer with others, to bear their burdens, to feel their sorrows, to heal their wounds. Compassion. Compassion first starts out by seeking to understand the other. Compassion begins by you seeking to crawl inside the skin of the other person and see the world through their eyes instead of your own. I'm talking about compassion. I'm talking about understanding. How many would agree with me? We need more understanding in our world today. We need more understanding in our marriages, in our families, in our relationships. What a different world it would be if we would seek to be understanding of others. I'm convinced. I'm convinced. I'm convinced. How many agree with me? I'm convinced that every doctor needs to get sick at least once per year. I'm convinced that every doctor needs to get sick at least once per year. I need, I'm convinced that every doctor needs to uh, get admitted, you know, into ER and be asked for his or her insurance card while they have a convulsing child in their arms. And yet they got to do all kinds of paperwork. I'm convinced. I'm talking about understanding. I'm convinced that every policeman needs to receive a speeding ticket by some James Bond with the latest high-tech radar trying to fill a quota. Enough said there. <laughs> I'm convinced every church member should have to sit in their pastor's seat at least one week out of every year and try to keep up with them. And then hear people say to his wife, by the way, what does your husband do all week? Sure must be nice to only have to work on Sundays. I'm convinced every parent, to be understanding, needs to walk the school hallways of their kids and see what goes on at their kids' school. Hear what goes on. See what their kids face in our public schools today and even in our Christian schools. I'm convinced that every wife ought to spend one day, one day at her husband's job. And while we're on the subject, I'm convinced that every macho man husband, I'm talking to you macho men husbands out there, I'm, I, I'm believing that every macho man husband needs to consider staying home all day with the kids. Clean the house while they mess it up right behind you. Uh, uh, wash all the dishes. Cook uh, all the meals. Mop all the floors. Wash. Iron the clothes. Change the diapers. Potty train the youngest whose sole objective is to drive you totally insane. This is all becoming fresh and anew to me again now that I'm a grandpa. And I have twin grandsons. And I'm convinced they are insane. These three-year-olds... I'm convinced that every macho man husband needs to be with the kids all day at home and, and, and try to have things just perfect 
so that when your wife comes home at 6 o'clock, that you're dressed fit to kill with a rose clenched between your teeth as you greet her at the door and supper on the table. Now you might be saying, Pastor, you men out there might say, Pastor, you're crazy. Hey, macho man, you got worn out just listening to me, didn't you? Huh? Understanding. Understanding. What am I getting at? There is a deeper message. Fill in the blank with me. There's a deeper message here in the parable of the Good Samaritan. L let's bring this parable closer to where we live. How many of you, how many of you in your home life, your marital life, you're walking on the other side? In your home. At its best, would you agree with me? At its best, home can be the nearest thing to heaven. And at its worst, and I'll tell you this as a marriage and family counselor, at its worst, the home can be the nearest thing to hell. Even in normal, somewhat functional families, supper hour used to be a great time for the family to be together. Time for listening, time for catching up with one another's uh, day activities, uh, time for imparting advice from mom and dad, a time for imparting values. Just plain relationship, listening. Today's American children gather around the TV or they gather around the, the laptop, uh, the iPad, or even a smartphone and never look up and, and even look at you in the eye. Uh, you don't know if they're there. They don't know you're there. If they're even at the table, uh, they're shutting everybody out. They're disconnected. They're absorbed in their video games, the latest gossip, or even watching shocking violence, uh, pornography, while you're sitting there with your eyes glazed all over. Parents, I want to give you a divine command from the throne of God. Use, use these devices. Use their most important button. What's the most important button on these devices? The off button. In the name of Jesus, shut it off and say, Hi, I'm Dad. This is Mom. And we're taking over this house for Jesus Christ. Until parents, until parents, until parents take real action with the media thieves, the media bandits, the media highwaymen that are invading our homes with violence, with pornography, with Satanism. Until you take action, you're just a banging gong and a clanging cymbal, as the Bible says. You're just walking on the other side. You're neglecting, you're ignoring a terrible problem within your home. There's more here in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Married couples, let me talk to you right now. You that are married, let me talk to you. Tragically, most of our married couples today are living their marriages on the other side. 
It's amazing to me. We've developed communication systems to talk to people as they walk on the floor of the ocean. We can talk to men as they walk on the moon. Yet, I'm finding in my counseling, I got husbands and wives who can't talk to one another across the dinner table. It's getting real quiet in here now. That's okay. I can handle it. Problems and differences in marriage. Problems and differences in marriage are not dangerous. Not whatsoever. But never attempting to understand your spouse. Never attempting to see the world through their eyes. That is dangerous. Choosing to live your marriage on the other side is a formula for disaster. Rather than settling for the other side in our homes like the Good Samaritan, you and I, you and I, moms and dads, parents, grandparents, uh, husbands and wives, we can take action. Let me just give you just a real quickie, practical, practical counseling advice from this pulpit this morning. Number one, number one, base your marriage and family on God's living letters. Every one of these begin with the letter L so you can remember. Will, will you base your home? Will you base your marriage? Will you base your relationships on, on, on God's Word? This is our compass. This is our guide. Don't go by uh, the, the psychologist. Don't go by the psychiatrist. Don't go by the so-called social experts. Oh, yes, they have their place. They have their part. They can give some good advice, but base the foundation of your home upon the holy word of God. It's not a passing trend. It's not a passing fad. Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word, my word, my word will never pass away. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In His word there is life. In His word there is power. It's not just good practical advice. It is living power. Living letters for your home. Number two. Number two. Listen to your spouse. Listen to your children. Listen for their feelings. Listen for their fears, their failures, their hurts. Listen to their hopes and their dreams. As you listen, really listen with your heart, you have the opportunity, according to 1 Thessalonians 5.11, to encourage. The Bible says, so encourage each other to build each other up. There's never enough encouragement in your marriage or family. None of us have arrived. My wife's the greatest encourager. Every single late Sunday night when I take out the garbage, she says, oh, I love how your muscles ripple. And your wavy hair just flows in the wind when you take out the garbage. I just can't wait to take out the garbage. <laughs> Encouragement. Number three, be a living lesson to your family. Be a living. More is caught than taught. What you are speaks so loudly. I can't hear what you're saying. Many of our children are saying this. Our teens are saying this. You know, I, I never remember my parents teaching me to tithe. Telling me how to give to missions. How to sacrifice. 
I, I never remember my parents telling me how to be a husband, how to be a parent. They showed me all those things. They showed me. I never remember them taking me into a classroom experience, but I do remember seeing it in their life on a daily basis. My dad taught me how to be a man. My dad taught me how to love a wife. My dad taught me how to be a father by his life. His life was a living lesson. Are you exemplifying the Word of God in the station of life that God has called you to? The Word of God says, and above all things, be found faithful. Are you being faithful to what God has called you to? People are watching. Little eyes are watching, especially your children. And how you live your life, and I know this now, as a grandfather, how I live my life as a husband and as a father has an impact on generations to come. Now maybe you have come from a cursed generation. Break the chain in the name of Jesus. He's still the line of the tribe of Judah who breaks every chain. If you have a wicked past, if you have a victimized past, if your parents did a lousy job training you and raising you, you determined to break that chain in the name of Jesus. And now begin a holy heritage. Begin now a legacy of faith. And watch how you will impact generations to come into eternity for the glory of God. Nothing happens through us until it happens to us. Number four, fill your home with lots of laughter. Lots of laughter. If a light is not on, we say the bulb is... I can't hear you. If the light is not working, we say the bulb is... dead. By the way, I just had a sign a check for over a thousand dollars to rent equipment to come in and to get our bulbs working in here to just even get up there into those see those bulbs that are out lights not on so I say the bulb is dead the bulb is dead car won't start car won't the engine won't turn over so I say the battery is When a home has no life, when a home has no joy, when a home has no laughter, we say that home is... You got it. You got the point. You got the point. Tragically, God sees many of our homes as being dead. Active homes, hard-working homes, perfectionistic homes. A lot of, lot of communication in those homes, but it's wrong communication. A lot of yelling, a lot of screaming. Love is dead. Laughter is dead. Joy is dead. Proverbs 17, 22, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a, bro a, a, a broken spirit drieth the bones. Listen, mom, dad, it's okay to be silly with your kids. I'm still, and I love being silly as a grandparent. Oh, if you'd see your pastor chasing his grandsons around the house. And, and, and my one three-year-old grandson, Logan, 
crying out as I'm, I'm chasing him. Monster! 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 <laughs> when my kids were young, when my kids were young, I was the shark. And if they got off the couch, if they got off the chair, boy, the shark got them. Now even as I have adult children, uh, I'll tell you, every Christmas we have the family Olympics. We move the furniture out of the great room. We string a rope across the great room. And we play balloon volleyball. You might laugh, but I have been convinced. I am called by God to fill my home and my family with joy, with laughter, with good times, great memories. It's good to laugh a lot. Don't let work, the job, the sheer busyness of life squeeze the joy out of your home. Don't allow it. Dad, you're the key in this. Be a man. You want to be a macho man? Learn to laugh with your kids. They'll remember that the rest of their days. Amen. Number five, choose to speak real love into your marriage and your family. I'm convinced every marriage and every family has to have these three golden expressions. These three golden expressions. I love you. I love you. I still say it with my daddy and my mommy. I don't care how old I get. I still say it with my adult children. I close every phone conversation. I love you. I have a pastor's son in Southern California, and I got off the phone this week, and I love you. I'm praying for you. Number two, I'm sorry. Oh, have I had to say that a lot in my marriage. I'm sorry. I'm humble yourself. Third golden expression, I forgive you. I forgive you. We're the most like animals when we kill. We're the most like men when we judge. We're the most like God when we forgive. And lastly, determine to build your home with the Lord's help. Don't just have compassion. Act upon it. Don't walk on the other side. Do something about your home life. Build your home with the Lord's help. The psalmist said in Psalms 127, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. I still every single day pray for my children and I ask the Lord, oh God, help me. Help me to give wise advice. Help me to give your word. Help me to give them direction in life. The greatest good news the greatest good news is this. The greatest good Samaritan is Jesus. It's Jesus. Terry, you know every year at the Wild Game Dinner how hard it is to get the attention of people. The acoustics are not perfect in the gymnasium. We'd like to address that. With the, the Lakeside Phase 4 vision, the acoustics could be somewhat terrible in, in our collegiate-sized gymnasium. And you get over 400 people in there. You get over 400 men who have a hard time talking at home, yet they get with a bunch of other men in a wild game dinner, and all they do is talk. 
And I, I mean, you can be up there and pour kerosene over yourself and light yourself on fire, and they're still talking. We share with them the greatest missions needs in our backyard and, and around the world, and they're still all talking. We can't get their attention. And, and, and Terry, I, I knew, was going to introduce me, and I was going to pray and, and, and bring some kind of a spiritual factor to the, to the opening of the wild game dinner. And I thought, should I start with a joke? And I'm going through all the jokes. How can I get their attention? How can I get their focus so we can pray? And, and as I walked up there, I still didn't know what I was going to do. And all of a sudden, it popped in my head. Jesus. 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 That place went stone silent. You could have mentioned any other name, and that wouldn't have happened. You could have mentioned any other personage, any other issue, and that wouldn't have happened. I was amazed. And I would dare say, Terry, most of those men were unsaved and unbelieving. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's just something about the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And he is the greatest good Samaritan of all. I'm speaking to someone this morning. And you feel like you've blown it. You feel this morning so lonely. You feel like nobody cares. Many of you this morning are so confused. And you don't know what the next step is. What you should do, what you should say, where you should go. Some of you are here this morning and you don't know how you're going to end the week. You're so sick in body. Some are sick in heart. You've been slandered. You've been falsely accused. You've been betrayed. Some of you are under so much condemnation. I'm speaking to someone right now. You're under so much condemnation. And I want you to know that comes from Satan. I want you to know that comes from the enemy of your soul. You have felt so lustful. You have felt as though the dark side has come out. You've committed a secret sin that nobody else knows about. And you're here this morning and you feel so condemned and so guilty. And I say to you, whether you're sick in body or sick in soul, sick in your mind, Jesus. 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 Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. God's Word says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As Cindy comes to the keyboard right now, I speak to you, Jesus. Nothing will separate you from the love of God in Christ. Jesus. No weapon formed against you will prosper in the name of Jesus. If our Lord be for us, who can be against us? Jesus. Jesus. By His stripes you are healed. Who is our mighty healer? Who is our great physician? Jesus. 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 He won't leave you. 
broken, bruised, and battered. He won't let you go home this morning overcome by the sin that yes, you committed, but I declare to you in the name of Jesus, His grace is greater than all of your sin. Jesus. How about it? How about it? You're not coming to a neurotic parent when you call upon Jesus. You're not making a long-distance call when you call upon Jesus. He's just as close as the mention of His name. Oh, you can mark it down. Jesus won't pass by on the other side. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you this morning and we declare our dependency upon you. We need your healing. We need your comfort. We need to experience your warm arms of love enfolding us. We need your forgiveness, your grace. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And there's no looking around in the sacredness of this moment. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I'm not talking right now about church membership. I'm talking about the salvation of your soul. Isn't it time you try Jesus? Jesus. He won't leave you as you are. He'll meet you where you're at and lift you up to where you need to be in Him. Jesus. This morning I'm going to pray a prayer of salvation. I'm going to pray a prayer of commitment. If you're desirous of making heaven your home, Jesus your Savior, if you're ready to sell out to Jesus and make Him not just your Savior, but the Lord of your life, if you're ready to repent of your lifestyle and turn your life, turn the steering wheel of your life over to Jesus, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you want to be included in this prayer, if you want to turn your life over to Jesus, lift up your hand right now. Lift it up if you want to be included in this prayer. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand. Yes, God bless you five hands lifted for Jesus. How many more? Six hands, seven hands. God bless you. How many more? Keep lifting them up this morning. I'm looking up on the balcony right now. I choose Jesus. Yes, number eight. God bless you. How many more? I choose Jesus. I want to be included in this prayer. I'm ready. Jesus, I need you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Keep those hands lifted up. Keep those hands lifted up. Put your heart into what I'm about to pray. Make this prayer your prayer. And in fact, I want you to pray this prayer with me. I want everyone to pray this prayer out loud, even right now. Are you ready? Dear Jesus, I come to you right now, just as I am. I confess I've sinned. I'm a sinner. But Jesus, you're my Savior. I believe you died for me. I believe 
you rose from the dead with resurrection life I want that life Jesus a new life a changed life Jesus I repent of my sin Lord I want to change direction I want to go your way I'm willing to give up habits to give up wrong relationships I'm ready to be radical to be sold out to you I make you the Lord of my life in the name of Jesus I pray this amen praise the Lord Jesus I want you to be my Savior Jesus I want to make you my Lord if you prayed that prayer and you believed you put your faith with what you said according to God's Word there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus if anyone is in Christ Jesus they are a brand new person former things have passed away and all things have become brand new